You're listening to Broadcast Behind the Screens, the podcast brought to you by Broadcast and Broadcast Intelligence. This week, we're chatting to Dolly Alderton about adapting her best-selling memoir, Everything I Know About Love, into a TV series for BBC One. We'll also be talking about Agri Nights of the Week and what else has been happening in the world of television. Stay tuned for more. Hello and welcome to what has been six months in the making, the first episode of our shiny new podcast, Broadcast Behind the Screens. We have new microphones, we have a tweaked format, most importantly we've really missed podcasting for the last six months. So much. And if you've never heard our dulcet tones before, I am Alice Redman, Head of Content at Broadcast Intelligence. And I'm Heather Fallon, I'm one of the reporters at Broadcast. We used to run the Commissioning Conversations podcast. Our colleagues used to run Broadcast News Wrap. Both of those took a pause at the end of 2021. And with Heather moving to Broadcast, we've rolled this together. Yeah, so we'll be combining Broadcast and Broadcast Intelligence, and we've named it Broadcast Behind the Screens. Each week, we will be featuring an exclusive interview with a lineup of special guests from the TV world, whether that's talent in front of the camera, the people making it happen behind the scenes, or commissioners making the big decisions. Um, So we'll be celebrating all of the talent behind the screens. See what we did there. (laughs) (laughs) We'll also be keeping you in the loop with the latest TV news and analysis and highlighting what's coming up in the world of television. And I'm so excited because this week our first episode is with author, journalist and now writer and series producer, Dolly Alderton, who is talking about her TV show, Everything I Know About Love, which is an adaptation of her memoir. To ease you back into our podcast, let's kick off with an old Commissioning Conversations favourite, which is Green Light of the Week. We couldn't forget her, we couldn't leave her behind, and we never will. (laughs) So in the spirit of following up from the last podcast, I was so happy to see this week that Joe Lysett is getting another chance to finally air that live special on Channel 4. I think I talked about it on the podcast last time. He was due to do a show called Mummy's Big Christmas Do in December, which was live from Birmingham. But unfortunately, that got postponed because of the rise of the Omicron variant. So basically. It's going to be Joe Lysett's big pride party and he's got a great host of guests to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Pride. It's going to be the kind of climax of Channel 4's Pride All Over programming slate and it sounds really fun. It's really camp. Uh, I don't know if I've made it clear already, but if it's got anything to do with Birmingham, I'll probably love it. (laughs) So that's my green light of the week. I wanted to have something to say about it then, but I just was like, wow, pride all over. Pride all um, over. So my green light of the week comes with small, small backstory. Um, I'm currently in LA, staying in one of the weirdest hotels I've ever been in. Just proper middle of nowhere vibes. I saw this week that my one of my favourite places in East London, Moth Club, has getting a show called Alive at the Moth Club. It's been greenlit by Mark Inden for Dave and it's been produced by Baby Cow. It's kind of like a new reinvention of the stand-up format. It's got some cinematic bits. It's like live from the club. I'm really excited for it. And I think just in general, I'm really loving the new ways in which 
everyone's reinventing stand-up programming. Um, I love comedy and I think it's something that could have easily carried on a stand-up format as it is, you know, like I'm here for just seeing someone on the stage, but I'm liking, you know, the Amazon backstage with Catherine Ryan and now this, you know, people are taking swings on some new new ways to showcase live comedy, which is really exciting. Yeah, I think UK TV are doing a lot of good plays in the space at the moment. So a couple of weeks ago, they also commissioned that Rosie Jones disability extravaganza. And they actually welcomed uh, commissioners and producers and talent agents from not just UK TV, but the whole TV industry to come and check it out. And I just think it's a really nice way of bringing in new talent. So props to them for now also commissioning this Moth Club series. And another big thing that happened last week was the launch of this week's guest, Dolly Alderton's TV show. I was really over the moon to be able to speak to Dolly, who is a big influence on mine and Heather's podcasting style. Pitching this at one point, we were like, imagine like a B2B version of the high-low, you know, Um, which is the podcast that Dolly runs with fellow journalist Pandora Sykes. So she's also just generally as well, someone that we both followed her career. She's got a great journalism and television career. Everything I know about love is one of my favourite books and hearing from Dolly all about how she adapted the memoir into what is quite frankly a really brilliant TV show was such a career highlight for me. So before I waffle on too much and say something embarrassing, let's take a listen to our chat. Lovely to speak to you Dolly, it's like so exciting for me and all of my friends as well, which is really fun. But let's get straight into it because we don't have much time. And I wanted to start with just talking about the process of getting everything I know about love made into a television show. I mean, obviously you've worked in TV before and mm. did a bit of Made in Chelsea. Was it always a goal of yours to get back into TV or was it something that kind of happened a bit more serendipitously? Yes, I've always wanted to get back into TV. I left made in Chelsea well I did a year of a year and a half of kind of entertainment and reality development very 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 badly um, at the same company and then I left uh, I can't even remember what year sometime in my in my kind of mid late 20s and I left because I wanted to go into scripted so I then went uh, on to be the script assistant for Fresh Meat and I did about six months of drama development at Objective um, while I was making kind of short films and I got a screenwriting agent. So it was very much something that I wanted to return to. Um, I love the world of TV and I just, I, I hadn't experienced it in a in a scripted setting before, but yeah. And what was pitching it to broadcasters like, especially with it being your memoir and a story of your life? You know what? We were so lucky. Our, um, this is like the opposite of what my dating life has been like. The first pitch was the last pitch. Oh my God, amazing. Yeah, so we went into the BBC drama department, sat in a very strange room. And I actually recalled that memory to them the other day and I was sort of told off by my exec because apparently that is the really, the the smartest room actually. So it's... (laughs) shouldn't have slapped it off it's very strange this room it's it's have you spent much time in that building no not at all it was like the big brother house it was maybe I've remember I was so nervous maybe I've remembered it wrong but I remember it being like in the round with no (laughs) windows in the middle of the building anyway it obviously despite the room (laughs) 
went well. Um, and then we immediately started developing it with them. And actually, the minute that we got the BBC on board, Syrian had done so much to help me move the the story on from the book and expand the world and just like start thinking like a screenwriter and plotting like a screenwriter and get some kind of dispassionate dif- distance from the characters, helpful distance from the characters. And then the minute that we got the BBC on, it was just, it like invigorated it again with this whole new life because um, it was their idea to do flashbacks. It was, it was their idea to... Well, it was because it was the drama department rather than the comedy department. They made it very clear that we had to really hone in on that central relationship to, you know, keep it focused, to keep it plotty um, and to keep the emotional stakes high. So the minute that we got them on board, it was, yeah, it gave it a new lease of life. And then and then I think it was a year later, then it was commissioned. And um, Surian was saying, you know, that the difference between working with you as someone who's worked as a journalist and working with normal screenwriters was that you were great at turning in your scripts on time. But I also wanted to ask you kind of how how you felt, found that change after working as a journalist for several years and then instantly going into screenwriting and having a writer's room and all the other extra bits that kind of come with that. I love when Syrian says that because I just think, God, I really hope she never talks to my editor at the Sunday Times. <laughs> it's just like, who is this woman you're talking about? This journalist that hands things in on time. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, I'm so interested in like the confluence of all different kind of writing skills and what's useful and what's not in various projects. My favourite writer of all time is um, Nora Ephron, who, you know, began as a journalist and trained as a reporter and was a news reporter. And then she was a screenwriter and she was also a memoirist. And I think I've always been very interested in how all those various skills, how they came together in all parts of her work. And I think something I will say, here's the downside of being a journalist turned screenwriter. Syrian pointed out to me very early on in the process. She was like, you've got to be careful that your characters don't speak like journalists. Because I had a preoccupation in those first drafts I was writing when I was like 28. I had a preoccupation, having not written that much like long form scripts before. I had a preoccupation with being funny on the page because that's how I'd made my money. It was about being pithy on the page, packing the page full of observations, packing the page full of jokes rather than, which obviously is useful to make something entertaining. But then there's this whole other thing you have to balance, which is how do real people speak? How do you make something natural? How do you make their emotion both um, apparent on the page and also in subtext? So it's like, I had to really pare that back because I sort of had all my characters speaking in funny tweets to go viral, um, (laughs) which isn't useful for making real humans. And I'm so glad she pointed that out to me early on. So that's the main thing. I think journalism, I had to sort of like get leave at the door from journalism Mm -hmm. when I started writing scripts. Um, But the thing that I think is really useful from being a journalist and then going into screenwriting is I am so, so unafraid of research in a way that I think other screenwriters that I've spoken to see that research is like a bit of a ball ache or indicative of a failure of imagination. And I'm just so, you know, I spent 10 years being a freelance journalist where basically on the Monday you're told this is your feature and then you have to become an expert in it and interview lots of different people and deliver it a week later. And that was helpful because I wasn't daunted by the idea of 
writing about characters that were had different experiences to mine and just hiring the right people as consultants and interviewing them and feeding that all into my work to the point that Syrian couldn't quite believe it like I have Birdie working at John Lewis and her working at John Lewis and really treasuring John Lewis as, a, as an institution was very, very important to her character. And I remembered really early on in the writers, we did weak writers room development and this amazing writer called Alyssa Yun basically gave me the idea or I knew I wanted Birdie to work in retail. I was like, oh, she's going to be like the Mrs. Maisel of John Lewis. She's going to be so, so dedicated and she's going to be the best woman on her floor. And, and it just unlocked something about that semi-fictional character for me. So for example, with that, you know, I had like extensive conversations with a woman really high up at John Lewis <laughs> about like what the role would be, how she would progress, what her salary would be. And I, you see so little of that on the page or the screen, but for me as a writer, it just gives me confidence. Mm. And as well as writing, you were exec producing, a showrunner. How did you approach visually the show? I know it was set in, you said it back in 2012, which was amazing for me. I was like, I wore that dress to my uh, to my sixth form social. Like that's a Topshop dress. I remember it. Yeah. Um, but like obviously as well, there was a lot when you know the series got announced. I think there was a quote from Piers Wagner at the Times comparing it to Girls and Sex in the City. And was that kind of conscious in your kind of visual references and how you approached how it would look on screen at all? Yeah, I mean. China really established the visual grammar for the show, obviously, and, and she and I talked a lot about totally where we wanted it to fit, because the thing that the main thing that we found difficult is we obviously are working with working title who make the most beautiful, glossy films available on Earth. And we also go through the BBC drama department and we're trying to make something that felt that felt real and authentic. So how do you tread that line? Because we don't want to create that sort of frustrating 20 something world that we all know where we think, how are they all affording this? They're mm. meant to be paying 650 pounds a month for rent. Why is their hair so glossy and big? Why is their makeup so perfect? Why are, do they look so expensive? So we definitely didn't want to do that. But then equally, we wanted to make the world inviting. So we couldn't have it as this like hyper real, you know, it's not documentary. Mm. So that was the line we were constantly treading. China and I used to joke, we're like somewhere between, I can't remember what we said. It was like four weddings and a funeral on fish tank. <laughs> That's what we're working with. <laughs> We've got amazing. to find that middle ground where it's like a glorious grub. That's what we mm. were. That's, and that's what China nailed. I think that she made it. China just brought, cool China's very very cool and I am deeply deeply uncool so like having someone who she's an you know and has encyclopedic knowledge of cinema she and I are very very united on the films that we love and she and she's very perspective driven the way she tells stories particularly with like a protagonist led show like this so she we just constantly were trying to work out what the main things visually is being close with Maggie, being in Maggie's head. That was the number one thing. And then it was about authentic, authentic worlds. That's 2012. That's London. That's taking into account the grub of a girl's house share and their economic situation mm. as well. Yeah, I think it was totally believable. I got I got to watch the first four episodes and I was texting the group chat we had and I was like, I don't think we had a single like original experience in that time because it's right here <laughs> on screen. Like, literally 
the exact same setup like one person was in a long-term relationship then one of our friends got a serious boyfriend and I was like well, what do you think he's spending a bit too much time like it's just so so, so relatable oh that's good to know that's good to know and it's all these things that China's such a woman's woman and she she just she understood these little markers that we wanted to put in the show that maybe will be like invisible ink to men but will be mm. so apparent to women like we whenever when we saw the bathroom we were like every time we went into the bathroom we littered it with more and more empty shampoo bottles and more and more just like all empty we knew all of them had to be empty but they yeah. all had to be there and it's inexplicable why but it's so important <laughs> definitely and how did you approach, obviously you fictionalised your character and all your friends, but obviously there's probably something in you, te- you know, you still are putting your life story and your memoir out there on BBC One Primetime. How did you approach telling some of the more personal stories? I know obviously the books come out and you've had to deal with that, but I think television is obviously a whole other format. How did that work for you? The book was so personal and it um, was read by so many more people than I thought would read it that I I sort of feel like I've heard all the best and worst things that are ever going to be said about those stories Mm. uh, and about me, in fact. So that that doesn't perhaps foolishly, that doesn't worry me. I, I I know the books. I know the things that people get very excited about with the book. And I know the things that certain parts of the book or my story that riles people up or annoys people or isn't their jam so I, I would be amazed if there would be in terms of personal offense or personal yeah. attack I just feel like I had such an extreme experience going through that and and to be totally honest like I was really really lucky it was like majority goodwill so you know I feel kind of chill about that I feel cool about that and then to be totally honest the freedom of putting it into this like majority fictional world is a lot of it's made up a lot of it's borrowed from friends and then a lot of it is my deepest darkest secrets that I couldn't include in the book and no one will know what's true and what's not because I've put it in this fictional world so I actually feel much safer in a strange way that's good to hear and in terms of casting how did you approach that and did kind of your friends who were like well I'm this character essentially like did they want to have like a bit of a say in it um, there's only one character that is kind of fully taken from li- life and, and the book, and that's uh, Farley, who's, I've changed the name to Birdie, um, who's played by Belle. And I did, I did show, I did show Farley some takes. I did, I did. And you know what? She, um, she, she's so brilliant. She just has always been an, in, in my biggest champion and she, um, really really empowered me you know she just she was like it's your show it's your story and she completely trusted me there was one casting that she had issue with and it was because we were considering an actor to play um Nathan who just looked too much like (laughs) the real guy and actually who she was with and Nathan is so a fictional character he's so not the guy she was with that she just thought can we like, like let's just make a point of keeping it separate as possible um but yeah, other than that, no, I've, mm. I've got great, great trust from my friends. And thank God, first time Farley saw it was uh, at the premiere at BAFTA <laughs> with all the press on Monday night. And thank God she had no complaints. <laughs> yeah. And what do you think it was about kind of your story and the book that made it great to adapt for television? Well, a lot of it didn't make it great to adapt for television, <laughs> which is why we had to make it semi-fictional. 
I think the stuff that I knew was great to adapt is that central love story um, between two women uh, told like a romantic comedy, told like a, a very compelling love story that is normally only reserved for heterosexual stories between men and women. Um, just because I hadn't really seen that, I haven't properly seen that fully on TV. I've seen it in film. I saw it with Frances Ha, Greta Gerwig's film, which just electrified me when I watched it because I just felt like this is, you know, finally this love story is being told properly. And I also thought that the house Sherry girl gang vibe of those four, and it is an ensemble show of the four of them, uh, that I thought lent, lent itself very well to TV in the same way that there was a show about four women with Sex and City. So that felt like a good blueprint for a reason. The nostalgia element that I think people responded well to the book, in the book, I thought that would make for good TV visually you know, Lava Lamps and MSN Messenger and Nokia 3210s and Hair Gems. That's just like, you know, catnip for me. And the 2012 ness of it, I thought, would would be good. The specificity, again, of those visuals and of London um, mm. during that time. London was a very exciting place to be that summer and that year. So that was all the stuff that I thought, this is going to, this lends itself to good TV. Mm. And kind of what would you like to do next in TV? Are you looking to adapt ghosts to a tv series or just do something completely different um i just want to i want to make more of this first and foremost um and i want to you know i just keep wanting to make those kinds of comedy dramas about relationships that are sexy and funny and real that i've just loved I would love to know how how different it was adapting you know your own story to, compared to like story producing on Made in Chelsea and taking other people's real life stories and making them kind of fictionalized as well. And also, if you've noticed a change in TV from when you were working back then to now. So I mean, there's just no comparison to be drawn at all. To be totally honest, it's so <laughs> funny. This this question does keep coming up, and it's I think people understandably are still so stuck on this idea that constructed reality is scripted and, and it's just not like mm. it, it it's not fictionalized at all and it's why this job in a way was quite straightforward in terms of how you craft it because I would come up you know with a series outline and then we had a month per episode to write it at one we'd plan it uh, sorry week one we plan it week two I'd write a first draft week three we I'd redraft week four I'd finish the draft that's it like the, the characters did whatever I decided I wanted them to do Chelsea was just not like that at all I was I was just like hearing every day what was going on in their real lives and we weren't even we weren't producing it even really we weren't writing certainly weren't writing we were predicting we were like predicting what the drama might be so it was it was not it wasn't a writing job it was like much more of a sort of a job of arranging and prediction and trying to kind of salvage together a shape from all this stuff that you've that you've shot that you had no idea really what was going to be so it's just galaxies apart <laughs> cool. but I understand I do completely understand the question but yeah it's totally different yeah did it prepare you in any way for just kind of understanding how tv four-act structure needs to work and totally. things like that 
Totally. It Every episode we'd note was a very traditional story structure that it would be an A story that would take up the most time in the episode, which would be whatever the love story was of that week in these real people's lives that was really happening. And then a B story, maybe another love story, but sometimes that's a friendship story, C story, maybe that's a family story or a work story. And basically as, the, as you kind of escalate down the alphabet of an episode, the less time those stories would take up of the episode, the less time you needed to tell them. And that, that's like very basic story science that I'm really grateful I worked out really early on. And, and yeah, those basic things of like, how do you get people to tune in next week? How much funny do you need? How much drama mm. do you need? You know, all that stuff. Well, I feel very lucky that I was learning that in my first job. Yeah, amazing. And obviously broadcast is very concerned with the TV industry and we've got a government at the moment that's looking to privatise Channel 4. Yeah, what did it mean? To you to have your first show on the BBC? Well, that meant everything to me. It's a huge honour, a huge responsibility. I obviously think that that would be disastrous. Um, and I just feel so lucky that I got the, the channel that I did and the platform that I did and the people that I did who just allowed me to write an altered story from my perspective with very little meddling and very and zero censorship. And they really like let, let me do it my own way. And, you know, that's exactly how it should be. That's how it's been for male showrunners for years telling their story. But I'm definitely very aware of the people who haven't been able to do that before mm. and how lucky I am that I can for a mainstream audience you know it's amazing thank you so much I can't wait till it comes out because I've got I only oh, got sent the first you. I got sent the first four so I've got three left to go and I'm like waiting and counting down oh, just like, to I'm... warn you it the tone changes completely at the next episode oh like in a good it all way? gets really gnarly and sad oh well I'm ready <laughs> I'm mentally prepared now for it <laughs> good thank you yeah. so much thank I think my favourite line from that is when Dolly's talking about the glorious grub of a girl's house share. I know, and the empty shampoo bottles and things like that really just spot on for all of the houses I've shared with girls throughout my 20s. And I'm still in a house share now and I could walk into the bathroom and find about 20 million half empty shampoo bottles. So it's so, so true. Nothing like a bit of hair on the walls. She yeah. was really funny. You froze, and I was waiting for your response, and then it came. You know when it comes through double time to catch up to all life, so it was like this. It's like nothing like a bit of hair on the walls. <laughs> it was so nice to hear from Dolly as well about what it meant to have her show on the BBC. I think my in, my question came out a little bit jumbled from nerves, but you know, having a government at the moment that's looking to change how the BBC is funded, especially with what's going on with Channel Four as well. And it's nice to know how much it just meant meant to her to have the show on the BBC. And it's really nice to see a memoir that meant so much to people getting its own TV run. And meant so much to girls and particularly like a younger, meant so much to a demographic that's kind of in between, you know, you're not in the young demo, you're not in the full adult demo, you know, your mid-twenties is, is a really nice place to see reflected on TV. And I think we'll call that a wrap for Broadcast Behind the Screens, episode one. 
We have such a fantastic range of guests coming up. I'm so excited about all of it. So a big thank you to everyone who's already agreed to come on and an even bigger thank you to everyone who has listened. Yeah, if you've got any feedback, any requests, any questions, any comments, then please do get in touch. Uh, Otherwise, we will be back next Monday. Yeah, um, until then, goodbye. Bye.